おい、皆さん、ようこそ。Made it in Japan Podcast の第13話、ホストのエリオットです。はい。最初に断っておきますが、今回はいつもとかなり違う味わいになると思います。あの、日本で活躍している面白い外国人をご紹介しようと、えーまあ、これまでの大学の教授やジャーナリスト経営者や起業家とインタビューをしてきましたただ本日のゲストはですね日本で活躍している面白い外国人である点では、えー、これまでのゲストとは何ら変わりません、えー、ただしこれから紹介、えーまあ、する方はですね、えー、皆さんと全く違う経歴を持っている極めて珍しい活動と生き方をしてきた方です。えー、ということで今回のゲストはドイツのミュンヘンから35年以上前に来日しているアルフレッド・ワインズル、えー、さんです。でアルフレッドさんは外国人の法律相談を主にボランティアとして長年行ってきましたそのボランティア活動っていうのはレネゲイドっていう、えー、と団体ですね、えー、チームとして、えー、取り組まれているわけですでビザの問題が一番多いようですが、えー、結婚離婚の手続きだとか、えー、暴力事件強盗薬物売買など多岐にわたるケースをアルフレッドさんが見てきました、えー、また阪神・淡路大震災や東北の、えー、震災です、ね、の際にもアルフレッドさんが誰よりも早く現場に駆けつけ、えー、物資の手配をはじめとしてさまざまな形で被災者の皆さんを手伝った、えー、と経験もありますただしえー、この極めて人道的で素晴らしい、えー、活動の背景にですねあのオーバーステイ、えー、つまり不法滞在をしながら行ってきたっていうのがアフレッドさんの特徴ですそうです嘘を偽りなく本人が正式なビザを持っていないのに困ってる外国人のビザ申請や取得の手伝いを20年ほどやってきました、えー、ちょっと待ってよと考えているリスナーの皆さん、えー、まずそれが健全な考え方ということで、まあ、自分の耳を疑わないでくださいのとただし本人の口からまず、えー、聞くしかないんですよねインタビュー自体は1時間半、えー、ぐらいになったのでまず半分に切って、えー、2つのエピソードえー、パート1とパート2と、えー、いう形で公開していますでこのパート1では、えー、本人の経歴と活動概要そして本人がオーバーステイで対応された経験をカバーしていますまたパート2は来週アップするつもりですので、えー、今回は味見だけだと期待してくださいと言いながらもこの味見はですねとんでもなく強烈なものでその覚悟の上で聞いてください、えー、汚い言葉を連発しながらアルフレッドさんが自分のストーリーを語ってくれたのでもし英語のわかる子供が近くにいるのであれば、えー、インタビューが始まるまでに場所を書いた方がいいのではないかと思ってますただ、えー、独特で濃厚な伝え方とはいえアルフレッドさんのメッセージは外国人の置かれている立場を理解する上では本当に貴重です笑いもありますが真剣に聞いてくださいアルフ,フレッドさんの語りはなかなか見えてこない日本社会について必ず考えさせてくれるからですで先ほど言ったように皆さんに消化してもらうためにはパート2までは1週間置いておきますがパート1が気に入ったらそれをぜひ楽しみに待ってくださいインタビューはテー,マテーマソングが終わってから始まります感想を聞かせてくださいではでは What's up everyone? 
Thanks for checking in the podcast. As always, this is your host, Elliot Conti, eager to get started on an English episode after two consecutive episodes all in Japanese. Today is the first part of a two-part series with guest Alfred Weinzier.、Uh, Alfred is a German,、uh, born and raised in Munich,、uh, in charge of a small group known as Renegade,、uh, which provides volunteer legal consultation and interpretation for foreigners operating out of Osaka. He is an expert on Japanese law, especially immigration and marriage law,、uh, but he has assisted in, in cases from illegal immigration and deportation to marriage and divorce scandals,、uh, child custody scandals, work related offenses, violent crime, robbery, drugs, you name it. He goes into how he got started in this field during the interview、uh, after 35. Plus, years of ups and downs and various run ins with the Japanese law,、uh, mainly in Minami, which is the south side of Osaka City, where he currently resides and where we recorded the podcast. He also explains in the back half of this episode how, prior to receiving lifetime residency, which he currently has,、uh, he actually spent over half of his time overstaying on an expired visa and was arrested for it in 2011. This, however, represents only one side of his character. Another reason I called him to the podcast are his volunteer efforts during the aftermath of the Kobe earthquake in 1995 and the Tohoku earthquake in 2011, which devastated the northeastern portion of Japan. His selflessness during those times of crisis is commendable, and I wanted to give him the opportunity to share those experiences with listeners.、Uh, but I will be frank. Nothing about Alfred is PG rated. He is an intense person and he expresses himself as such. So,、uh, if you find certain obscenities offensive, or if you are listening with an English speaking child in the room, get out the earmuffs、uh, because this episode may not be appropriate for you. However,、uh, I do urge everyone to listen, even if the language is unsettling, because Alfred's message is much, much deeper than its initial shock. A man who has dedicated his life to improving the treatment of foreigners under the Japanese law, Alfred has positively affected the lives of literally thousands of people,、uh, all on a volunteer basis. He has a strong passion for Japan and Japanese culture and wants only the best for this society. But he is also keenly aware that affecting change on certain issues calls for stepping out of line from time to time, which is why he calls his small group. Renegade. In part one of my interview, we discuss his background, get a little into detail on some of the cases he's worked, and finish up with his arrest following the Tohoku earthquake in 2011. I look forward to everyone's comments because when it comes to stories, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who can compete with him.、Uh, thanks again for listening, and I hope to get part two up sometime next week, so keep an eye out for that. In peace, and see you next time. With the original Renegade. Alfred, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Elliot. It's been a while. It's been about a year. It's yes, too、sir. long, my friend. Oh, yeah. It's too long. Oh, yeah. I missed you.、Uh, you are、uh, a legend in this area specifically, Minami, Osaka.、Mm. Uh, not always for the best of reasons, but、uh, I will say that you are, are by far the most interesting foreigner I've met in my seven years in Japan. Oh boy. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so I'd like to dig、yeah. into that today.、Yes. Do a little story time Absolutely. With, with the man, the myth, the legend.、Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to just cover your background. Yep. Yeah. So why don't you tell listeners where you came from, how you ended up in Japan, and how you ended up doing legal consultation? Sure, no problem. So I got you like 36 years ago. There are several reasons for it. One is because I was interested in Aikido, and then I, had a, I met a Japanese guy in、uh, Munich. Yeah. And、uh, he, he was a student, and he lived in this hovel, you know. And I'm like, hey, dude, you know, I mean, you're Japanese.、Uh, <laughs> why don't you live in my place? And he、mm. lived、uh, in, in my place for like six months. 
Oh, and wow. then he returned to Japan and uh, he sent me a letter. Do you guys remember what a letter is? It's like one of those things uh, you put in envelopes, you know, back then there was no email or anything. <laughs> so you had to wait like 10 days to get a letter from Japan. Now, anyway, he wrote me a letter and he goes like, Alfred, why don't you come to Japan? And I'm like, wow, cool. Why don't I go to Japan? And uh, so I did. I took an airplane and I came over here. And uh, because back then you couldn't fly over the Soviet Union, I took the southern route and that took like 30 hours, the 30 hours route. in an airplane. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of bushed, but uh, he told me that he, he was going to pick me up at the airport. But no, he wasn't there. There was a guy in a yellow suit and a red necktie holding up a placard saying, uh, Willkommen in Japan, Herr Alfred. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who is this dude? You know, where's my friend Toru? And yeah, uh, yeah. well, then he, he kind of nearly manhandled me, put me in this big ass German car. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, yeah. so they drove me took about an hour and a half, I think. I don't remember it exactly. But they drove me to this really huge place uh, somewhere in Asia. Yeah. And uh, there were like 10 guys standing out outside, all in suits, all bowing to me. Japanese <laughs> dude walks up to me with a hakama, long silver hair. Um, I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Taro comes and goes like, Albert, welcome to Japan. That's my dad. This yeah. is my home. Yeah. And then they put me up in this room and to welcome me, they put a picture of Hitler in it. So no. I'm like, uh, okay. No. There is, there is a is zillion. Is that for real? Yeah. There's a zillion guys in candy ass monkey suits. Uh, <laughs> there is an old guy that looks like a samurai. Yeah. There's a picture of Hitler in my bedroom. <laughs> What's going to happen next? So yeah. I was kind of intrigued, but I was too bushed. I just wanted to lay down and sleep, but no. Mm. Alfred, we drink together. <laughs> and that was the bubble years, you know. So we went to yeah. this place in Kobe. It must have cost a zillion, it must have cost a zillion yen just to sit down. Like 10 girls with their tits hanging out, <laughs> whiskey, beer, you know, I was like, I want to play here. Welcome to Japan. Yeah. yeah, so that was awesome. And then uh, back then, Steven Seagal, you know, Steven Seagal, the uh, famous American uh, yeah. actor, yeah, yeah sure. he used to live in Juso in the northern part of Japan. And uh, I mean, his ex-wife, uh, Osaka. Osaka, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and his ex-wife is still teaching Aikido there, so... Oh, really? Yeah, I went there, and uh, because the place was a little bit too far away from the place I was living, they introduced another place to me, and that's how I started Aikido. And then back, mm -hmm. uh, Renegade was established, or, you know, I started doing this back in 1995. There was a big earthquake in Kobe, Mm. And uh, at that time, you know, there were no mobile phones, there was no internet, you know, people were just, especially foreigners who didn't understand Japanese, they were like mm. uh, in shock. Right. So what to do? And there was a group in Osaka called the Earthquake, a Foreigners Earthquake Information Center, and I joined them. Mm. And uh, so what they did, they tried to help foreigners especially who didn't speak Japanese and who were stuck in Kobe mm. and uh, you know I mean I love Japan I wouldn't be here if I didn't love it but there's one thing I don't like uh, about uh, some Japanese people and that's they have meetings 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 <laughs> meetings so they sit in his office in Osaka and they have meetings and I'm like Let's go to fucking Kobe, you know, that's where the action is. We have to go out and right. and, and see what's going on. And um, they go like, yeah, but first we have to have a meeting to find out who is going to lead the trip to Kobe, yeah. uh, who is going to drive, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, fuck this. Yeah. Uh, what is really necessary? And so in January, when the earthquake happened, it was like, yeah. first of all, freezing, freezing cold. cold yeah. And uh, 
So what was really needed was kerosene for gas stoves, you know, that people had, mm -hmm. and uh, gasoline for cars. Uh, sure. Volunteers that came from Kyushu and uh, down from Tokyo, they needed gasoline. Yeah. And gasoline is an expensive thing, you know, especially if you come with 10 rucks from a place that's 500 right. clicks away. Right. So uh, we also needed mobile phones because uh, back then all the public phones were down. Mm. Uh, and especially foreigners, you know, they couldn't contact their fam families. There was no email, there was no nothing. So uh, you had to make international phone calls in order to call your family. And so I figured, well, if we need uh, phones, why don't I call some phone companies? Mm. So I called Motorola and uh, I asked them if they could give us some mobile phones so people could call you know, their loved ones back in their countries of origin. Yeah. And uh, everybody goes like, no, they're not going to help you. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to work. Right. And we need to send somebody that's responsible over there so he can talk to them. And I go like, fuck this shit. Gave him a call. <laughs> 20 minutes later, a guy comes over with 10 people, brings us 20 uh, mobile phones and goes like, you go to Kobe. And if you meet foreigners or Japanese that need to make a phone call, we pay for everything. So wow. that was great. And wow. then what do we do with gasoline and kerosene? And I go like, why don't we call some Japanese, you know, gas companies, gasoline, you know? And they go like, no, we need somebody that, uh, you know, is in charge. And then we need to have a meeting to do this and to that. Who right. do we call? And I'm like, fuck this. So I called uh, <laughs> Shell. Back in Europe, in Europe yeah. one minute later, I had the fucking CEO of Shell on the phone and <laughs> he goes like, what do you need? I told him this and this is what we need. And he goes like, okay, give me a couple of hours. Then mm. I get a phone call from Showa Shell, you know, in Tokyo. And they go like, okay, Alfred, any gas station anywhere in Japan, any Shell gas station, mm. uh, if somebody mentions your name, Alfred, they get free gasoline and free kerosene and that's what happens. So all you wow. need to really do is like uh, get off your ass and make a phone call. If they say no, they, they say no and then you lose like what? 500 yen for an international phone call. But if they say yes, see what happened, Motorola, <laughs> how much did they pay for international phone calls? I have no idea. Yeah. They got gasoline, you know, um, fleets of trucks got free gasoline. So we are talking about millions of yen, right? maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars that we got for free. So mm. all you need to do is have a little initiative. And so that's what happened back then. And then after the earthquake, when, when things settled down a little bit, mm. you know, there are a lot of foreigners that have problems, uh, visa problems, marriage problems, they don't speak Japanese very well. Where can they go? They mm. go to see a lawyer, they must pay a lot of money. Sure. So I figured why don't I, you know, assist those people. In the beginning, we would go to city hall together, I would interpret for them. And uh, then, you know, I started studying the law. I read the Japanese civil and criminal code from wow. cover to cover, from back to front. And uh, I also know quite a few very, very nice lawyers that are interested in helping the foreign community. Mm. And so you get a certain knowledge and you have to have this certain knowledge because you cannot tell people lies. You cannot give mm. them unfounded information because some of these people, they are overstaying. Mm. They are out of luck. They mm. are living, you know, with friends. They don't know what's going on. Right. And if you give them wrong information or if you give them false hope, then you're doing exactly the op opposite of what you tried doing from the beginning. Sure. Help them. Sure. So that's why I studied and I'm still doing it. And uh, yeah. That's how yeah. Renegade started. And that's how Renegade started. Wow, yes. that's incredible. I know, do you have any idea uh, the number of people in total who have benefited from your legal assistance over the I years? I mean, since like, uh, when was it? Six years ago, we count them. You started, yeah, recording. So I have a list, like no names, of course, but for sure. example, 
uh, Spain mm. visa problem. Right, right. You know. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so last year it was 504 people we helped. Okay, so last year alone then. Yeah, and if you count all of them together in the last six years, it was about maybe 3,500. Sure, sure. And the uh, the 18 years before, it, it, <laughs> you know. You're going to need a calculator. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what are some of the main problems that foreigners come to see you with? Well, the biggest problem is, of course, the visa thing. Visas, okay. Another one is child custody. Mm. Another one is wrongful arrest. Okay, is that common? Uh, yes. Mm. Another one is uh, problems at the company. Okay, Violent behavior by bosses. Okay. Another one is drugs. Drugs, yes. okay. So that's about it. I would say that most, of course, are visa-related problems, but um, there are there is an increasing number of foreigners mm. that call me because of their work situation. Mm. Especially, you know, like last year, I had a guy, uh, a Middle Eastern person. You know, I don't mention names or anything. Sure, you know, sure. there is a. Uh, the privacy issue, of course, but uh, there was a guy and um, he called me at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, so what can I do for you, good sir? Yeah. And he goes, well, I'm at a company mm. and uh, the company is in Osaka. Mm. It's a warehouse. Mm. So what they do, they work at night, right. especially. And they unload trucks that come to the warehouse and put, you know, uh, goods in the warehouse. Sure. Um, first of all, they're, they're not wearing any helmets. You know, the safety regulations are not being upheld there. Right. And uh, so what happened to this guy? He was talking to another foreigner. Mm. Uh, to give him instructions that foreigner had just arrived the day before didn't speak much Japanese yeah. so this Middle Eastern person gave him instructions on how and where to put the boxes right a Japanese truck driver saw that and uh, I don't know what the Japanese truck driver said to them because uh, their Japanese isn't that good, but mm. all I heard from them was like Kora, Kora, this and uh, that. Okay. And then he started beating them up. Really? He attacked them? Yes, yes. He uh, physically attacked them and the Egyptian guy fell down and, you know, uh, it turned out he needed several stitches in his forehead. Mm. Uh, and uh, I told him to immediately call an ambulance right. and uh, to tell them that there was a fight. So actually he did call an ambulance, but he, because he didn't speak any Japanese, I had to interpret for them and I go like, fight, you know, he was beaten up. So the police came. Right. So they took him to the hospital and uh, then they, he got a Shindansho, a doctor's report as I advised him to do. And then he went to his company with it mm. and uh, they fired him. Really? Yeah, they told him, go fuck yourself, you know, I mean, if you're uh, like this, you know, you have to work here. If you don't work, you don't get uh, your money. And uh, but I was beaten up by a worker here. Right, right. Ah, yeah, you know, I didn't see it. I wasn't there. So yeah. there were like eight witnesses there that told the police that uh, they said that uh, had actually happened. Yeah. So what we had to do, we had to go to the labor standards office, and uh, I'm telling you, those guys are useless. Absolutely useless. <laughs> the, the labor standards. Yeah, also. they're okay. just sitting on their asses, and uh, so while it was an incredible situation, we also went to the police mm. to file, uh, you know, 
charges against this Japanese truck driver. Yeah. And that was last year in October. Now it's May and the police are still sitting on their asses doing nothing. So my plan is next week, because I just got back to Osaka, yeah. is to go over there and sort out the situation. And there are many situations like that. Right. And so Abe wants to import 300,000 foreigners over the next five years. And uh, to tell you quite honestly, I would tell him not to come. <laughs> because uh, you have to have, you know, a certain respect for people. Mm. And they all say, you know, foreign workers are coming here. No, it's not foreign workers coming here. It's human beings that have dreams. Mm. And you have to treat them as such, not as numbers, not as workers. You have to treat them as people who have dreams. You have to help them study Japanese. Yes. You have to help them, you know, settling in. That's what you have to do. But in Japan at the moment, I don't see that happening. Yes. I don't see that happening. And there are many, many black kigios, you know, black, uh, bad companies, people that don't, uh, you know, follow Japanese labor laws. Yeah. And if foreigners come over here, I'm afraid that they'll only be exploited. And well, they go back mm. and go like, oh, now we don't like Japan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, That's uh, my fear. It's a shame that Japan's first real attempt at uh, at immigration policy has become uh, purely exploitative. I agree. I mean, if you look at the number, there are two new visas created, and the majority of the yeah. foreigners who are going to come in apply to the first visa, which is much more restrictive in yes. terms of what it, what they are granted. They're not even allowed to have their family members come over, yeah, right? Yeah. So that in itself is is quite exploitative and they're going to work in essentially uh, the hard uh, laborious jobs, right? Jobs yes. that Japanese yes. people do not want yes. to do. Jobs yes. that are going to be automated in the next, I don't know how many years, yes. but they're brought in so that they can be thrown away yeah, eventually. Cheap right? slave labor. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not a good situation. I doing what I can at yes. Global Aichi, and I know that there are many people like you who are at NPOs and yeah, and that's why I'm glad they called the new Japanese era Reiwa. Was that because Rei stands for renegade? <laughs> so this and is going to be yeah, yeah the yeah, era it's of, gonna be of the renegade, era of right? renegade because yeah. uh, all the people that are coming in we are going to help them yeah yeah I mean and it's, there will be a change it's very it's uh, it's very complicated right now because there are there are some positive uh, signs I think in terms of the way that Japanese society is heading and I feel like uh, there is a gen in general um, a more open embrace of foreigners. However, it's very what's the best word? It's very economical, right? Uh, they're looking at foreigners only. Uh, it's very what's the best word? Utilitarian. Yes. Right, uh, and that's unfortunate, right? And problems will arise when, like you said, they start treating people merely as work hands rather than members of society. Yes. So, mm. But um, anyway, we'll see how that goes because yeah, the new visa is just getting it started and exactly. it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they get integrated in society and yes. how Japanese society reacts to yes. them. Now, you are, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, quite famous in this area, in the Minami area, the, so the southern side yeah. of, of Osaka City, right? Yeah. Um, there's a concentration of foreigners. Yes. In this area. And they all know your name. And they all know to get in touch with you when they have trouble. Right? So, um, what exactly do you believe is, is the biggest service that you provide for them? Mm. Yeah, that is a very difficult question. I think what I'm trying to do is, A show them that there are some people here that care. Right. Show them that, uh, you know, because sometimes when people are in bad situations, 
like you get divorced, your wife divorces you without you knowing it, you don't have access to your children. Yeah. It is very easy for people to start disliking Japan. Right. And uh, I want to help them, even if they have to leave the country, not go and say we hate Japan. Mm. You can hate your ex-wife, the fucking bitch, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> or ex-husband. Yeah, or ex-husband, <laughs> but... Um, yeah. There are so many Japanese people that are actually interested in helping foreigners. All mm -hmm. the lawyers I'm working with, you know, just like my normal Japanese friends, you know, I tell them this foreigner has a problem, this and that, okay, what can we do? Mm. There are so many Japanese people that are really good-hearted, but a lot of foreigners don't meet them. Right, right. Because of language difficulties or whatever, right. or because, you know... There's social barriers, yeah, right? Yeah. There's no doubt that, yeah. that and, foreigners uh, and Japanese do not mesh as well as they ought to. And, you know, it's just like when stuff happened to me a long, long time ago, mm. I always wanted somebody from... Uh, maybe should I say the same cultural background, mm. somebody that has, has been in a situation like that actually, right, right. somebody who has experience, you know. Mm. And uh, I think people talk to me because A, I'm a fellow foreigner, right. uh, and B, I have the experience. Right. And C, I'm probably not an arrogant son of a bitch like some Japanese uh, city hall people or lawyers they go like yeah i'm a lawyer i'm gonna help you you do what i say i'm your boss no right, right. you're not the boss there is two people one of them is me and one of them is that you know a certain foreigner mm. and we are on the same level right and what we do is right we help each other Mm. You know, we have to be on the same level. You cannot talk down to anybody, you know. If you talk mm. down to anybody, there will never be that one connection that you need in order to really help. Right. And that's maybe why people talk to me. I really don't know because it's very hard to know yourself and I don't mm. know myself at all. But uh, <laughs> a lot of people, they, they come to me and when I help them, I see this one thing, you know, they change. Mm. And uh, just like three days ago, I met a couple, mm. Japanese foreigner. He didn't know what was going on. Did you just say a Japanese foreigner? And a foreigner. Oh, okay. A Japanese okay. and a foreigner. <laughs> and uh, so when I first saw them, they you, you could really see that they were nervous. Mm. You could really see that, you know, they weren't in a good place. Right. And after I talked to them and explained everything to them, they went to immigration and next day did everything I asked them to do. And when I saw them the next time, they were like completely different. Yeah. Yeah, they're completely different. And maybe, maybe that's what I'm good at. I don't know, but people keep on coming. So mm. I must be doing something right. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think in many ways you represent sort of a beacon of hope right uh, yeah, because there's so much gray area uh, there's so much ambigu ambiguity um, surrounding Japanese law and how it relates to foreigners in Japan right and one given your fluency and your knowledge of the law itself you you're able to remove that initial hurdle for them but also the fact that you've lived here for over 30 you've lived here what 36 yes. 35 yeah, yes. 36 years uh, in total um, and that you've continued doing this for so long. You didn't go on and, and do something else. You never abandoned them. You've continued helping foreigners here in Minami, here in Kansai. And so, I, like I said, I, I think uh, as one individual, the number of people you can help is certainly limited. But I think you represent something a little more than that, right? Oh, boy. Yeah? We got, oh got you boy. there. Got you there. Well, that's my that's my interpretation. Now we met uh, we met in a bar five yes, years ago. Yes, we did. Yeah, and uh, I remember that. And you pulled out after a few drinks. You pulled out a chicken hat and puppets. Yes. Yeah. 
And, uh, <laughs> and I, after, you know, uh, getting to know you well, I realized that you actually carry those with you at all times. It wasn't anything specific I to do that indeed. <laughs> yeah. But um, you have a, a very unique style, Alfred. Uh, and anyone who actually sees you, I'll, I'll obviously put up a picture um, for the listeners because, you know, while, while your explanations are quite vivid in their own right, a picture is worth a thousand words and you, your, your style is quite unique. Now, you're sitting here in front of me right now wearing, what are you wearing, Alfred? Uh, camo, paratroopers <laughs> boots. Yeah. I got kind of a Mohican, a beard, a mustache. <laughs> I don't look like your average lawyer. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but uh, right. if you saw me, I think uh, there w what would come into your mind if you saw me just like this? Uh, mentally deranged neo-Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what uh, you will probably think if you saw me. Yeah, well, you, you do leave a shocking first impression, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, but I carry those puppets into chicken hat for a good reason. Why is that? Because when I go to a, a new police station, a mm. police station I have never been to, you know. Right. I mean, nowadays, uh, when I walk into a police station, cops, they go like, yeah, sashiburi, you know. and uh, <laughs> They all know you. Now. Yeah, but <laughs> if I go to a police station I had never been to, you know, for example, in the boondock somewhere, you yeah, know, in, yeah. in Nara or, <laughs> you know, wherever, uh, I wear the chicken hat and I carry my puppets yeah. with sunglasses and uh, the way I look. And yeah. I walk in. <laughs> And I love the, you know, the, the expression on the policemen's faces. Yeah. Who the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm wearing the chicken head and that's why I have the puppets because it's awesome. You walk into a police station and then you go like, yeah. oh yeah, by the way, I'm also the interpreter for the Osaka Bar Association and they have to call you sensei. <laughs> and you stand there with a chicken head, puppet, sunglasses and they call you sensei. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's incredible. You're the only person who can pull that off. Um, so I've heard you talk about about victimless crimes yes. before. Foreigners yes. and their yes. their struggles with victimless yes. crimes. Can you yes. go into that a little more? Yeah, victimless crimes is like a crime where there are no victims and overstay is. Is the biggest one. Yeah, yeah it's the biggest one. Mm. There are also, uh, m I mean, people call me for, you know, attempted murder, mm. uh, drugs. Wow. Well. Uh, you know, uh, fights, right. uh, medical problems, robbery, uh, right? Everything. I've yeah, heard, yeah. I've heard your Everything. robbery story. Yeah. So people call me for you know marriage problems, for sure. divorce, child custody. Sure. People from Australia, mm. people from abroad, call me in Japan right. Right. because they want to have access to their children. Right. So uh, yeah, and I mean you know if you, you know I'm a foreigner. I live in Japan, mm. and. Uh, it's not like, oh, I love all foreigners and they should be able to do what they want. No. If you sell drugs, if you abuse your Japanese wife, mm. if you put out your cigarettes on your children's foreheads, then motherfucker, you get deported. Sayonara and don't ever come back, you know. Right. Seriously. Right. But if you are in a situation, and I see this very often, mm. where your wife divorces you without you knowing it. Without you knowing it? Yes, mm. because uh, the Japanese divorce paper, you know, you write down, it. yeah, the yeah. divorce document, uh, you write yeah. down your name, her name, and then there is a small space uh, on top of your, her, your name or her name where you write the child's name. Mm. And that person gets custody of the child. Right. And uh, many times, a Japanese, you know, husband or wife, they fake the foreigner signature, mm. go uh, with the divorce paper to city hall and get divorced. Pull a fast one on them. Yeah. yeah. And then the foreigner is like, what? What? Yeah. And then, of course, you lose your visa. Because, well, explain yeah. that further yeah. for listeners. So, 
there is something called Haigusha visa, a spouse visa, and you yeah. get that if you're married to a Japanese national right. or to a foreigner with a permanent uh, visa. Permanent residence. So uh, once you're not married anymore, right. you lose your visa. Right, right. And uh, they give you a couple out? of weeks, you know, mm -hmm. you might be able to uh, get a couple of weeks or months to, you know, mm -hmm. just relax and find a job or whatever. Right. But in many, many cases, the foreigners are so, so shell-shocked, especially if they get kicked out of their own homes, which also happens. Mm. So there's this foreigner who had a job, mm. a wife, mm. a child, mm. And the next morning, he's homeless, without a job, without a wife. What do you do? You call Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but say say you get that call, right? Yeah. Say you get that call. What do you do from there? How do you help this person? First of all, they are all shell-shocked mm. when I meet them. They mm. have this what they call the 1,000 mile stare. They're looking in the, in the far distance and don't really know what's going on around them. Right, right. They are completely shell-shocked, you know. Sure. And so what I do, I sit them down mm. and I try to get them to talk. Mm. Because when you talk about your problems, they diminish. Right. And you need somebody that listens to you. Mm. And a lot of them have friends, you know. Mm. So I meet them, I tell them to meet their friends. Mm. Then, of course, they need a place to stay. Yes. I know some people that uh, I can sometimes, you know, for a day or two, have them stay there. I know some guest houses, owners that go like, okay, for a couple of days, it's fine. Yeah. And then... Uh, I explain to them what they should do. Right. Um, normally, mm. if that happens to you, you can always sue your spouse in court for falsifying documents, you know. Okay. But a lot of those people, they are, they actually have jobs, you know. So mm. I tell them, continue with your job. Right. Whatever you do, keep working. Mm. Because in many cases, the company will sponsor them. Right, they'll be able to get a visa yeah, from there. Yeah, they will be yeah. able to get a visa from there. So right. that's what I usually tell them. Right. But then, of course, there are people that uh, work in the wife's father's company. Mm. <laughs> Boom, you're really fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're really fucked. I had, I had a wife that... Uh, you know, um, put gasoline over all his shoes and set them on fire. Oh man! And so I hooked him up at my friend's guest house for a couple of days. Yeah. And uh, really, the only thing you can do, unfortunately, once you lose your spouse visa, you can maybe apply for a different visa, mm. a work visa. Sometimes, you know, there is uh, one of my secret uh, places that I know and I don't tell a lot of people about it because then people who can get visas otherwise will apply there. Right, right. There is one calligraphy school mm. that is quite helpful to such people. I see, I see. But uh, I only tell people who are really in dire straits about that. Sure. Of course, they charge you some money, but you can have a cultural visa. You can stay in Japan. You mm. can, uh, you know, do something. Mm. You don't get deported. But a lot of foreigners that this happens to, they overstay. They overstay. Yeah. They overstay. Right now, at the moment, I know at least a dozen that this has happened to, and they're overstaying. Yeah. And so the only thing you can really do is uh, marry a Japanese. In that in that situation. Yeah, give you get a, get a spouse visa. Yeah. No, even if you're overstaying, I mean, mm. it happened to myself. I was overstaying twice. Yeah. And of twice. My, yeah, and of my 36 years in Japan, I think I've been overstaying 20 or so. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So what happened to me, because uh, I also went to Tohoku, to the big, you know, tsunami and earthquake, earthquake in, in Tohoku. Two, in 2011. Yeah, so um, we got like uh, 20 tons of relief goods from Germany sent over here. Same thing. Uh, yeah. I called uh, FedEx. You know, like, can you fly this stuff over for free? Yes, we can. Yeah. Uh, the biggest German volunteer group, Human Plus, they sent us 30 tons of goods. Yeah. We were like, uh, we picked this stuff up in Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, rented trucks, picked this stuff up in Tokyo at the international airport yeah. and then drove it to, uh, you know, up to, uh, up to north, up yeah. to, uh, yeah up north and at that time I didn't have a visa I was overstaying so um, it was kind of fun you know because you have to show your ID when you enter the uh, uh, airport yeah and uh, yeah it was an interesting uh, few moments but yeah. uh, get a little you cold know, sweat just, on there. just winged it yeah yeah and uh, also out of the five guys that drove trucks uh, to Tohoku, uh, three of them didn't have, of course they knew how to drive, they had uh, US licenses, but they didn't have international licenses. Mm. So there were there was an overstaying foreigner, three guys without a license, yeah. uh, helping people in <laughs> Tohoku, it was kind of <laughs> awesome. So yeah. yeah, it happened to me too, you know, I came back from Tohoku to Osaka, and then just walking on the street, they do spot checks. Right. Just walking on the street, they're like, uh, oh, where is your uh, ID? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, my goose is cooked. Right, what yeah. can I do? Yeah. So I uh, was arrested. And this then is they. 2011? 2011, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in winter. And then they. In November, actually. And uh, no, late October. When I, yeah, late October. Okay. And then they sent me to immigration detention and I'm like, oh, now I'm in immigration detention. And I had fun there because um, well, you there, are like, there. Uh, there <laughs> are like 20 people there yeah. and I knew like eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, Alfred, what are you doing here? Yeah, and then uh, on the next day on, they were lining up in front of my room asking for visa advice. <laughs> and as it turns out, I got five of them released while I was in immigration detention. And maybe that's why immigration released me because they go like, we keep this guy here for much longer and he empties the place, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so talk, talk to me about that because that's, uh, how did you end up getting a visa? You didn't remarry. No. So what happened is that... Uh, I was in immigration detention, but before... Uh, I was able to contact mm. a friend mm. and like wildfire the news spread what that you were that I was arrested, uh, arrested yeah. and uh, it was incredible mm. and, uh, in a month and a half I had 200 visitors mm. okay never wow. happened before yeah 200 visitors in a month was and it, a half was it like four people a day or something? yeah <laughs> And some lawyers I know, yeah. and especially a good friend of mine who works for Asahi TV, okay. they made a documentary about me and helping foreigners, you know. Mm. I mean, he, he came to the immigration office and he told them, Oko, you got Alfred? Yeah. I'm making a documentary about him. This guy has helped people in Tohoku. Right. This guy is helping people left, right, and center. It's what he says. I didn't really tell them, you know, because mm. I, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't. And yeah, uh, yeah. then what he did, he went up to Tohoku. He collected signatures of people that I had helped in Tohoku. Yeah. And they all go like, uh, they write letters to immigration. 200 people in Osaka come and visit me. Uh, immigration they were flabbergasted they go like what the fuck is going on you yeah, know yeah. and then they investigated me right and uh, I told them the truth you know like of course I knew I was overstaying you know but I love mm. your country 
and there are still some things I must do here, you know, and they go like, well, you're honest. <laughs> you know, most people tell us they didn't know they were overstaying, and I go, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I know the law, you, man. You, you're you know? consulting yeah. everyone else yeah. who's overstaying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the miracle happened one day before Christmas. Mm. They called me in. And there were six guys of them in a fucking small room. Yeah. And I go like, oh, another interrogation, oh boy. You know, yeah. I want to have my dinner because it was just before dinner, you know. Yeah. And uh, I saw my passport on the table and they go like, Alfred, do you want to have dinner? Mm. And I go like, yeah, I want to have dinner. And actually, I didn't hear everything they said you know it was like mm. uh, they said something to me and then it was like from then on I was in like uh, in the twilight zone <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know and then they asked me again and then I first heard what they had really asked me they said would you like to have dinner inside or outside okay and I'm like what do you mean yeah and they go like and that's what this one guy said and that's why a lot of people hate immigration i hate them too but there are some people there mm. that are not assholes mm. and uh, he was like you know what you're a guy that needs to stay in japan mm. here is your passport you can leave and i'm like it's a carry homen it's a provisional release Right. They let me out while I'm still under investigation, right, but I right. can live outside, you right. know. They go like, no, that's your visa. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And then they put my stuff in a, in a, in a bag. They helped me carry it down. They got me a taxi and they go like, Alfred, don't come back. I mean, yeah. you can come back helping people, but we don't want to see you on yeah, the inside. Yeah, we don't want to see you on the inside anymore, yeah. man. And then he saluted me. And that was that. And then that was that. 